Everyone can practice, everyone can practice, practice, and so this is the final one today, all right? Okay, four charts, four charts out of the bag. Okay, so the whole thing about maker, so each one of us, as human beings, each one of us face three big questions. These are the big picture questions in our lives, and um, it's one of those things we either think through very deliberately and ponder it deeply, or it's one of the things in the back of your mind, you know, you just sort of Think about it vaguely, but don't really put too much thought into it. But we are all faced with these three big questions. And that's what our Maker series is based around, these three questions. And at the end, I'll tell you what the fourth week's going to be about. Okay, number one is, where did I come from? That's all about origins, you know. How did I get to be here, born in this land, or wherever it was, to be here today in 2019? So where did I come from? About origins, really. Second one is, why am I here? It's all about purpose and meaning of life. Now, for people old enough like me who can remember, the meaning of life answer is not 42, okay? It's something much deeper than that, a hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy. But, you know, seriously, though, why am I here? Why are we even in this place? What's the purpose of our, you know, three score years and ten, whatever time we have on earth? What's it all about? What's the meaning of life? And lastly, of course, where am I going? So each one of us, you know, again, I say that Mr. Lord comes back beforehand, each one of us, our bodies are slowly winding down, and at some point, whatever our days are on, on earth, we'll pass through the portal of, of death, or maybe that's just where it is, that's the end. You die, you become plant food, and that's it, or maybe there's something beyond that. So these three big questions are really important, and what's even more important is not just questions, it's about the answers that you actually accept into your heart and mind. So we're given lots and lots of answers to these questions, you know, what the meaning of life is, why am I here and where am I going, but the ones I actually accept and believe and allow to sink into my heart and soul will affect how I live my life, as we'll see. Okay, so going back to last week, Pastor Ants, he did a great series, he talked about, sorry, a great starter to the series about why am I here, and he used the example of Shamgar, who's a really well-known character from the Bible, most people are going, who, Shamgar? But he was one of the judges in the book of Judges, and it talks about him using what he had in his hand, his ox goad. And over a period of time, he picked off a whole bunch of these pesky Philistines, and he became a mighty man of valor. And so the whole thing that Pastor Anson encouraged us, wherever we are in life, is to actually use what's in your hand, whether it's just an ox goad, a pointy stick, or whether it's something else. But each one of us has something in our hands. We have a gifting and a passion, or whatever. So wherever you're at, use what's in your hand. Use where you're at. And also start where you are. Don't wait until, I'll wait until I've you know, qualified or until the kids have left home or I'm old enough or I've learned enough to start where you're at. Get moving. And uh, lastly, of course, do all you can as well. So it talks about passion and enthusiasm, not just a half-hearted, I suppose I better do it. It's talking about do all you can in the uh, years and days that you've got. Okay, so coming back to this question, I'm going to cover the big number one question about where did I come from? Okay, so we need to answer this question, where did I come from? So if we are Bible believers, we're from our Judeo-Christian heritage, we believe the Word of God, the Bible, uh, is you know, the instruction book of life. It's downloaded the revelation of who God is as our creator and as our, he makes the rules, and he also gives us a framework in which to live our lives. So it's like the you know, car manual, the Bible is an instruction book of life. And if we open that up on chapter one of the first book, Genesis, we see that very plainly, in plain language, using things that even a child could understand if you read it plainly. It said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and this is how he did it. On day one, day two, day three, day four, each one he said, it is good, it is good, it is good. And on day six, 
It says he created all the land animals and our original ancestors, Adam and Eve, if you believe Genesis as history. And so you'll see here that Adam and Eve, our original ancestors, were created by God as the pinnacle of creation at the end. He created everything, set up the earth and everything in it. And eventually the last thing to be created was Adam and his wife Eve. And so that was, as we shared this morning, that beautiful song, wasn't it, about you know my name? So he talks about Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the garden with God, the creator. So about relationship. And uh, it's really neat to see things that we read in Genesis chapter 1. It talks about how we are created in God's image. It doesn't mean that God's got arms, legs, and so on. It means we are created in his image. We have a spirit, and we are creative. And so the whole thing, and we're different to animals. We have a spirit, and we have so many things that animals don't have. And it talks about God creating man. That's mankind, you know, humankind, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we need each other, don't we? He's created us as equal, equal value with each other, but also we're complementary. We're designed to, to be together physically and spiritually and relationally. So we need each other. And uh, God blessed them. This is a beautiful thing. God actually created Adam and Eve, and he breathed the breath of life into Adam and created Eve, and then he actually blessed them. He actually declared blessing over their lives. And he gave them a mandate. I've given this amazing world for you. I've created it as your home. And he said to be fruitful, multiply, have children, spread out. And it says here to um, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Oh, that's not very PC these days, is it? You know, multiplying, filling the earth, subduing it. That sounds very anti sort of what we're doing at the moment with all the things the world is facing, the planet, different uh, challenges from pollution and climate change and so on. So how do we reconcile this that we think we're so special but we know that really uh, man is causing all the problems we're told and so on. So I just want to encourage you, I'll just mention this important thing that we are created in God's image. We are really precious. And this word subdue, people say it's a negative thing, right? you're squashing things down, you're raping, pillaging, using it, polluting it. Now it talks about enjoying, studying, learning about, developing, and stu you know, caring for, like a gardener works in the garden. So it's not about destroying the whole place, polluting it, and ripping it off. It's about caring for it. It's godly stewardship. He's given us the planet, and we're to care for it in a responsible way, but it's really, really important we do it with other people in mind. So um, we, people aren't less important. Some people say, well, if you get rid of people, the planet, mother uh, nature will be a lot better off. No, we are in God's image. We are the pinnacle of creation. So we care for the planet in a stewardship way, but we don't worship it. Okay, we worship God, we love each other, and we care responsibly for the planet. Okay, I just want to mention that because it's very uh, un-PC. And then if we come down from mankind as a whole right down to us individually, each one of you, it talks about how you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We are, you know, the human body is just absolutely amazing, isn't it? A miracle of creation. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows very well. So it's talking about God creating us, he knows us, he loves us, and we are special. Okay, so that's the biblical framework. As we read the Bible, it talks about God creating us in his image, We're to enjoy our home that he's given us, the planet, and to love each other and to love him. Okay, so if we now put our biblical viewpoint on, because that's out of date and it's been proven wrong, as we come over here to what the world tells us, and we open up our National Geographic, we go to social media, we go to school, university, we're told a very different account of how we came to be. And that's over billions of years, you know, from an original Big Bang, 
vision of cosmic evolution, geological evolution and so on, eventually the planet cooled down, got oceans and got an atmosphere somehow, and then somehow life got started in some pond uh, scum type manner millions of years ago, billions of years ago, and over millions of years of evolution, you know, natural selection, mutation and so on, it works its way up until eventually, here you are. Okay, so it's just, you're just a, an evolved accident. And so where does that come from? So when you start to see this, take this on board, and it's shouted at us in everything in society, isn't it? So God's word becomes very blurry. It's, out of, it's in the background. It's probably a myth. You know, we used to believe that stuff, but now we know we're thinkers, free thinkers. We're free from that old superstition. We know that we're evolved. The Bible's not true. It's got some teaching that's useful, but it's really like looking for a murky window, isn't it? It's not really real. We don't base our lives on that. You get the feeling? A lot of people are like that, aren't they? So I just want to touch on this thing again. If we take the evolutionary deep time view, because evolution, if you're going to use evolution, natural selection, you need millions of years. You need deep time. If you get rid of the deep time, evolution completely is destroyed. So they'll, you know, the whole millions of years, billions of years is so vital for the evolutionary worldview. But so here we have time. It's so vast, you have to wind it up like a spring. It's too long to draw as a, a timeline, a linear line. But you'll see what happens is it winds its way up, getting more and more complex over millions and millions and millions of years. Till eventually in the last couple of million years or so, some hominids dropped out of the trees in the savannah and they managed to work their way up, get bigger brains and learn tools and so on, agriculture, and eventually, here you are, you're the pinnacle of evolution. You know, the, the lucky survivors, the most successful result of evolution over millions of years. It's quite different to the Bible's account, isn't it? So, it's interesting where if we take this idea Obviously, it's very influential these days. So here, I've got a few quotes just to touch. Hopefully, won't depress you too much. But it's, these are really good insights into where the world is thinking and what the effect is. So here we have Daniel Dennett. He's a famous author, and he wrote this book called Darwin's Dangerous Idea. And what he actually says is it's got great insight into the world as we see it. So he talks about his experience growing up and uh, being educated. Little did I realize that in a few years, I would encounter an idea Darwin's idea, bearing an unmistakable likeness to universal acid. So what does acid do? Acid corrodes, eats away, doesn't it? So you pour a battery acid on something, it starts to make holes and eats things away. So it's a great picture of this idea of the evolutionary picture is like acids filtering through, etching into and corroding everything. He said it eats through just about every traditional concept and it leaves in its wake a revolutionized worldview. Over the last 200 years or so, isn't it, since Darwin, we've seen the world radically changed, especially in the West, isn't it? The whole thing of a raw view of the most people has been radically changed. Most of the landmarks are still recognisable, like the church and bits and pieces, but they've been radically changed in fundamental ways. That's true. We see this whole thinking. Doesn't, it's not just about evolution of uh, biology, it's actually about the whole of life, every area. So we see now, we talk about socio-cultural evolution. You know, the arts, music, government, um, medicine, um, Morality, ethics, all this sort of stuff, everything's evolving. It's all about, you know, things changing, whatever society decides is best, it evolves. So you hear the word evolution all the time, don't you? Everything's evolving and changing and assume upwards and so on. So we see it's affecting every area of our lives these days, like universal acid. So does it really matter though? Surely we can just tell people that Jesus loves them and, you know, he's got a purpose for their lives. You know, this creation, evolution, origin stuff, it's not really that important. Let's have a look at does it really matter? Yes, it does. So if we think even since my tender age, actually I was 
telling the uh, previous services about a little thing that happened to me this week. I, I spoke at a children's camp down in Taupo, which is to eight to 12 year olds. It was a science camp, Christian camp. So I went along there as my Creation Ministries international hat on, talking about science. And so we're talking about dating, how you date stuff, you know, what the principles are of dating. So I said to the kids, how old do you think I am? And that's a really dangerous thing to ask kids, isn't it? So yes, and I asked this little kid, and he said, 85. <laughs> now, I know to some of you, 85 are probably even older than that, especially with the hairstyle and so on. But Desmond can vouch, I'm not quite 85 yet. So flip the two numbers around, and you've actually got it right. So anyway, but it's interesting, isn't it? So... The whole thing, it doesn't matter. So if we're looking at how this affects us, are we actually reaching the lost? If we look at the West as a whole, Western society, um, West, you know, Western uh, Europe and the US and Canada and New Zealand and so on, over the last few decades, we see, look at the statistics and census and so on, you see people who have a religious affiliation is declining. People aren't going to church as much. A lot of people are non-religious or they've gone down new age or other ways, different religions. So we see the graph going downwards on church attendance. People feel that religion's not for them. We've moved past that. Parallel with that, we see um, just that tragic thing. Our young people these days just bombarded with so many things, social media and peer pressure and so on, but also this whole idea of hopelessness. And we just see them feeling there's no purpose, there's no hope, the pain is too great, the darkness, you know, depression, anxiety, and eventually the only way out is to kill yourself, you know? And it's just one of those things that's just so tragic, isn't it? It's an epidemic of hopelessness, which... That really grieves me, and that's why I do what I do with Creation Ministries, to equip young people to believe in the Bible, that you can trust it. And we also see lawlessness rising around society, don't we? From the gangs and drug pushers at the lowest level up to white-collar crime, corruption and stuff going on in government or even in business. So something's changed in the last, even since I was a kid in the 60s and 70s. If we go back, so society has moved away from the, the Ten Commandments and God's laws. So it is important when you take on this evolutionary view. But in actual fact, evolution and creation is not the problem. You're going down much lower than this. So if you have a pot plant, you know that your pot plant grows in soil. So the soil is actually the problem. It's either God's rules, God's mandate, God's design, or it's man. So if God doesn't exist, we then come over here and we have our pot plant with man being God. Humanism and so on comes out of that. And evolution is the only game in town of how I came to be here if God's not real. So we have evolution and creation come out of roots that are much lower and of course, what we see in society is actually just the fruit on the tree itself. The problem's way lower than that. So it's really important to stand up for things that, you know, for the rights of unborn children and euthanasia and all these things, absolutely. But the problems are actually much lower than that. You're actually seeing the symptoms only. So popping off the symptoms is not dealing with the root cause, which is the worldview. Okay, so I've got three quotes here. Just, these are all PhD very respected scientist, although um, Dr. Will Provine sadly passed away three years ago. He was a very hardened atheist and um, very vocal. But what he said was actually quite insightful in looking into the insight of how people think. So he said, there's no ultimate foundation for ethics. So you can say this is good or that's not good, but what are you basing it on? There's no foundation for ethics at all. There's no ultimate meaning in life and there's no free will for humans either. All these things are deeply connected to an evolutionary perspective. You see? So the solid ground of a absolute truth is gone. It's all subjective. You know, if Alice, you believe that, that's fine for you, but I don't believe that. And, you know, it's really you know, the whole thing of you can believe this. And so it's all subjective. You know, there's no right and wrong. It's just this morass of like a swamp of subjectiveness. And how about this? We take it on further. Here's Anthony Cashmore, 
he wrote a book called The Lucretian Swerve, talking about justice and saying that ultimately we can't choose, we can't be held responsible for what we do because we have no free will. He said, we're nothing more than bags of chemicals. Who feels like a bag of chemicals today? That's all you are? It's really encouraging, isn't it? Really uplifting to be just a bag of chemicals. But these guys are PhDs, they're, they're writing stuff and people are going, wow, it's amazing. He says, consciousness and free will are no more than an illusion. That's almost like the Buddhist idea, isn't it? That everything's one big illusion. The reality is, not only do we have no more free will than a fly or a bacterium, in actuality, we have no more free will than a bowl of sugar. That's really cool, isn't it? So you might have chosen, thought you chose to get up this morning, come to church and so on, but no, you, you just, it was just an accident of your neurons firing. You had no free will about what you did. It's got to make you feel good, isn't it? Anyway, and the last one is a very happy-looking gentleman, Peter Atkins, a university professor, one of the colleagues of Richard Dawkins in, in Oxford University, and we know where that goes. But again, he's a PhD guy, very well written and so on, and he talked about God is a lie, and people should not waste their times or waste their life on it. Now, is that a scientific statement? It's not. It's purely from his philosophical view. God is a lie. Don't waste your time. So, sorry, people. You've all wasted your time even coming here this morning. You're living a lie, according to him. And wait, it gets even better than that. He also said, we're just a bit of slime on the planet. Hmm. Okay. Be encouraged. This is the thinking, you see. You go down that track. So, if we move on now to... Okay, well, that, the, the total atheistic view is a bit harsh. We can't really live with that. And these guys can't live consistently with that either. You know, thinking you just, there's no meaning and no morals or anything. You can't live your life like that. Even though they preach it, they don't uh, live it that way. You can't. So maybe, okay, maybe God did actually create. Uh, he gives us some purpose and some value. But he actually used evolution. He used millions of years of, you know, ponds come to people, evolution. So maybe we have the cake and we can eat it. God is the creator, but he used his toolbox of evolution. Sound like a good idea? Let's have a look at that, shall we? Where it goes uh, in our thinking. So, most important thing is to come back to why bad things happen in the world. You know, we look at nature, we see all sorts of things on nature programs, animals being predated and killed, accidents, natural disasters, all sorts of horrible things in the world. Even though the world's still got lots of beauty in it, it's a pretty broken place, isn't it? There's a lot of things that go wrong and are bad. The Bible, if we go back to that, clearly says that just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, a real person, in real points in history, not a, a myth or a legend, one man, Adam, and death through sin. Death then spread to all men because all have sinned. So the Bible's very clear that God didn't create a broken universe, a broken world. It was because of our disobedience, our ancestors' disobedience, then he drew aside and said, okay, you want to run the whole show? You want to be God? You do what you want to do. I'm taking my, some of my sustaining power away. And so he gave them a free will. So we see the result of that disobedience, that choice for, to disobey God. So it comes down, death's a great way to look at this. So between creation and evolution, the biggest thing is death. Death is so important in this whole thing. So if you believe in evolution over millions of years, you have countless generations of things dying, things not being successful to pass on their genes, and eventually everything dies anyway. So you just have this parade of broken things, things dying right through history. And that's just the way it is, tough. Horrible things happen, hard luck, and that's the way it is. So the evolutionary worldview, death and suffering are just the way it is. But if we actually look at the Bible again, it talks about, you know, create, original creation was perfect, and it was because of uh, disobedience, death and suffering and sin came in, and therefore it's an intruder into creation. It's not the way it was originally. 
So very different, aren't they? Very different accounts of where death and suffering and bad things came in. So this, this picture really sums it up for many people. It's one we use a lot in creation ministries. It's because it really amply shows you how God, using evolution, falls apart in many ways. So here we have Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, enjoying fellowship with each other, with their creator, all the animals and so on. There's no, they're all vegetarian. There's no bloodshed and suffering and so on. And here's Eve saying, oh, Adam, this is such a perfect world, which it was. And uh, Adam's saying, yes, Eve, it was very good. It's very good, just like God said. You know, God said on day six, it is up to day six, it was good, it is good, it is good, it is very good. But if evolution was true, of course we know going around the world digging holes, we find all sorts of fossils, don't we? The fossil record is right around the planet. Billions of dead things buried in rock layers, laid down by water all over the earth. So fossils are really glaring evidence of something that happened in the past. So there's our fossil record over millions of years, and we can dig the fossils up, and there they are. So what do we find out about a fossil? Number one, a fossil is dead, okay? I've never seen a living fossil, apart from me. But no, if, whenever you find a fossil on the ground, it was once alive and now it's dead, okay? So the fossil record is a record of death, number one. Number two is there's lots of horrible ways to die. And you look at the fossil record, you see uh, animals that have been eaten, um, had accidents, been drowned, been smothered, etc., covered in volcanic ash. So there's lots of horrible ways to die. We also see disease all through the fossil record, you know, uh, thorns and thistles and cancers and osteoarthritis, lots of horrible diseases uh, in the fossil record itself. So the whole fossil record is a record of bad stuff, isn't it? And so from my point of view, the goodness of God, would, the God that I worship today, would he, he have used an inefficient, bloodthirsty, horrible, painful way to create us over millions of years? You know, I, I, God I worship is not like that. He's a good God. So evolution like this actually does away with the goodness of God. If he used death and suffering to create us, it doesn't say much about his, his goodness, does it? And this is a really telling quote. It's the last quote I've got, just talking about the whole thing. And this is this guy here, Frank Zindler. He summed it up. It's, what he says is very, very correct, if you believe in evolution over millions of years. He said the most devastating thing that biology did to Christianity was the discovery of biological evolution. Now we know that Adam and Eve were never real people. The central myth of Christianity has been destroyed. I can hear the atheists going, yes, we've got rid of this myth. You know, people believe in this old fairy tale of the original sin and Adam and Eve. We know that's not true because of science, and therefore the central myth of Christianity has been pulled out. He said, if there never was an Adam and Eve, a real literal Adam and Eve, there never was an original sin. If there was never an original sin, there's no need of salvation. Makes sense, doesn't it? And if there's no need of salvation, then there's no need for a saviour either. And he sums it up with this thing. And I submit that puts Jesus, historical or otherwise, in other words, Jesus may not have even existed. Some people are saying that now. So Jesus, whether he existed or not, is actually unemployed. We don't need a saviour because there was no original sin, nothing to be saved from. And therefore, evolution is absolutely the death knell of Christianity. So you can see this whole, it starts to, undermine the whole gospel, doesn't it? I mean, why did Jesus have to die a physical death if physical death is not a punishment for disobedience and sin? You know, the whole thing, if it's a spiritual sin, why couldn't God just have used, did I forgive you? Why did Jesus have to die a physical death? Why does it say in Hebrews 9.22, without the, the um, shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins? There needs to be a blood sacrifice to atone for sins. And that's what Jesus, as our perfect lamb, our creator, 
He paid the price and rose again to save us from our sins. Okay, so just wanted to uh, touch on this thing of the gospel. So we tell people that Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, or even he's your saviour. You know, repent from your sins, and that's true. But what's the bad news? What are we being saved from? And so the key thing is to remember that all of us, everyone throughout history, has been lost. We're born into sin because we're descendants of Adam and Eve. Therefore, none of us are good enough to save ourselves. And it talks about uh, salvation is by grace alone. So just because I haven't murdered anybody, you know, I'm still a lost sinner. I've fallen short of God's perfection. Sin just means you fall short. And so because we can't save ourselves, the Savior had to come in, our creator, Jesus, the agent of creation, had to come in and pay the price for us. So you need the bad news before you give the good news. Make sense? Okay, so I want to finish the last little section here about, if we come back to Genesis, Genesis is the most attacked book in the Bible. People say, well, that's especially chapters 1 to 11, because chapters 1 to 11 cover from creation, they cover the flood, right through up to Abraham. So most people would say, well, okay, Abraham was a real guy, you know, he lived in the Middle East, a couple of thousand BC and so on, so we know, you know, he seems pretty real. We know Adam and Eve were myths, not true, so somewhere between, and also the flood was not real, it may have been a local flood or something, but it wasn't a global earth-shattering flood, as the Bible clearly says over four whole chapters. So maybe if that's myth, somewhere in there the real stuff begins. So let's just ditch Genesis 1 to 11 and start with 12. But if we look at the New Testament, we actually see there are over 200 quotations in the New Testament to Genesis, and 100 of them specifically to Genesis chapters 1 to 11. And all of the chapters, every chapter is referenced in the New Testament. We also see that every New Testament author, including Paul, to, um, right through Peter and James and all these other guys, they all refer to Genesis 1 to 11, and all of them believed it was real history. And real people living at a real point in time with real children doing real stuff. None of it was metaphor or myth or poetry or whatever. They took it as history. And also Jesus himself quotes from Genesis 1 to 11 on six separate occasions. You know, from the beginning of creation, he created them male and female. You know, or Noah, in the, as in the days of Noah, and talks about the flood. So Jesus, he referred to Genesis as history. Oh, but wait, these days we know that's not true. So Jesus, though, he actually says even back then, do not think I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, and that's Moses. Why Moses? Well, because Moses wrote the five, first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. And uh, even that's disputed these days, but there's great evidence that he actually did that. And Jesus believed that Moses did write the Torah or the, uh, the Pentateuch, which is that history covering section of, of Scripture at the beginning. And he said, um, if you believe Moses, you will believe me because he wrote of me. So even in Genesis, we see a pointer to the Messiah. It talks about the seed of the woman, you know, will crush the serpent's head. And it's talking about Jesus coming to pay the price, you know, a few thousand years after that point. But if you don't believe Moses, why would you believe me? So Jesus talks about, you know, I've gone to prepare a place for you. Or on the third day, I'll rise again. If you don't believe the history bits, why would you believe the spiritual bits? So Jesus made a big deal of this, that Moses, this is the test. If you believe Moses, you'll believe me. If you don't believe Moses, you won't believe me. But sadly, we've got a lot of theologians these days, again, because of science, they're saying, well, we know that, you know, Jesus didn't have the science we have today. He was a great guy, a good prophet, a good teacher, but he didn't know what we know today. So it says Jesus was a finite human being, and he erred from time to time. He made mistakes. He didn't understand at all. He was a man of his time. You see where it's going? 
Is Jesus actually not the Son of God? Is he not the Creator? Is he not hearing and speaking what the Father told him? No, no, he just made mistakes. And therefore, Moses, Paul, John, they all wrote their scripture with some errors. We are wise to assume that biblical authors express themselves as finite human beings writing from their own finite broken horizons. So you see scripture comes right down. It's just a book. It's got some good stuff in it, but it's got error. You know, take what you want. The whole thing falls apart. So scriptural authority is demolished by this sort of thinking. So you see again, you see how it just starts to eat away the universal assets, eating into everything, theology as well. I hear you saying now, this is part one, okay? Because part two, in two weeks' time, so next week Pastor Hans is going down to tell us about where am I going, okay? So we've talked about why am I here last week? Where did I come from this week? Next week, where am I going? And then on the fourth week, on the 28th, I'm going to put on my Creation Ministries International hat, and it'll be an official CMI event here. It's been publicised as well. And we'll actually have resources and so on available to equip you. And I want to talk about the science. So it's all very well, Mike. You've talked about the theology and stuff. It seems believable, but how do you deal with the science? You know, evolution seems to be such a fact. How can you deny all the proof you know, of evolution? The scientists, how can they all be wrong? You know, what about the fossil record? What about evolution? What about uh, radiometric dating? All that sort of stuff. So. My next session in two weeks' time is going to be specifically on evidence from the world around us, from biology and from geology and so on, about why we can trust God's Word. When we put on biblical glasses, it makes so much more sense compared to the naturalistic, humanistic way about how we got to be here. Okay, so watch this space. But also, I talked about the Gospel, and it's really important, each one of you, uh, where, where you're at today with the Lord Jesus? Is he somebody that you're just coming along, maybe not quite sure how this whole thing fits together? Or maybe you've walked with him in the past and now you've, you've slipped away, let your relationship drop with him. We'd love to reconnect you with your Saviour or connect you with your Saviour and Creator. So on our one card, this is the one card fits all, there's a little uh, tick box there, I am committing or recommitting my life to Christ. And this is just step one. So if you'd like to do that, fill it out, put it in the box, and we'd love to give you a Bible on us to get you started connecting with God and His Word. This is the reference manual for life, words of life. And so this is just step one. As you move through, you need to have a relationship with Him and grow in love for Him and, and for His people as well. So we'd love to be able to connect you with your Saviour and Creator. If we can be of help, come and see me afterwards or talk to any of the leaders here. We'd love to pray with you or help you along the way.